This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. This is another war episode of the Hasidic Story Project. What can I say? Hashem, please give our soldiers strength. Please give our leaders strength. Please comfort the families of the people who lost loved ones. And please return the Jews who were taken captive. Bezat Hashem, we should hear good news. So as I said last week, one of the lessons that we learn from all these stories is that a Jew does what a Jew has to do. And so this week I have two stories for you. The first one took place a little more than 200 years ago, somewhere in Ukraine, where there was an elderly, joyous, God-fearing Jew, a chassid, whose name was Reb Zelig. And Zelig was always happy. He was always helping his fellow Jews. And as a result, many people in his community were truly inspired by him. And Zelig's children lived far away, and his wife had passed away a few years before. And so everyone was very surprised and disappointed when he announced to the Jewish community in his village that he had decided to spend his last years in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel, in order to be buried in Jerusalem on Harazetim, on the Mount of Olives. Because as you know, my sweetest friends, these days, there are ways for people who pass away abroad to come over here and be buried in Israel. But in the old days, before there were airplanes and refrigeration, you were buried wherever you died. So this Jew, Zelig, he wanted to be buried in Jerusalem, and in order to be buried here, he had to be here. And he sold most of his possessions in order to pay for the trip. He left all of his heavy items for the community, and all of his sfarim, all of his holy books, for the local shul. And when the day came for him to finally depart, after several weeks of people coming and saying goodbye to Zelig, he boarded a wagon, heading to the port. Everyone wished him the best of luck. And he said how sorry he would be to leave everyone in the community, but he had made up his mind. And with that, he said goodbye and promised that he would send a letter when he arrived. And a few months later, a letter actually arrived from Zelig, from Jerusalem. And the letter went around the whole community. Everyone read it again and again. They were so happy to hear from Zelig. He told them that he had arrived safely and he had a small place to live a little room in the old city, and he wanted to thank everyone for being such good friends and for giving him such a good life back in Ukraine. And he promised them all that he would daven for them and he would always be thinking of them. And then life went on in the village, and eventually people kind of forgot about Zelig. Until a year later, something that shocked everyone there, and they couldn't believe it happened, but it happened. Zelig came back. He came back to the village in Ukraine, all the way from the holy city of Jerusalem, and everyone was shocked to see him. The whole community quickly made their way around him. They said, Zelig, Shalom Aleichem, welcome back. But Zelig, what are you doing here? Weren't you going to be buried in the Holy Land? Did you have problems there? Did you run out of money? Maybe someone came to you in a dream and told you to leave? But Zelig said, no, my friends, it's none of those. I just needed to come back for something. So everyone wanted to know, no, what did you come back for? He said, oh, it's nothing. They said, Zelig, you know, people don't just leave the Holy Land to come back for something. I said, I know, my sweetest friends, I know. But he refused to answer them. 
And he started talking about his trip. He told them how the journey was, how he had reached Istanbul, and then traveled by ship to Yafo, to Jaffa. And then took a donkey all the way to Jerusalem. And when he came up the mountain, he first set his eyes on the old city of Jerusalem. He could barely believe what he was seeing. He told them how he visited Hebron, where the matriarchs and the patriarchs are buried, and went to Svat in the north. And he told them what it was like to daven at the Kotel, the western wall, and that he always davened for them and always had them in mind. But whenever someone would ask him, but Zelig, why did you come back? He was silent. And just like when Zelig left, so it was when Zelig came back. Life went on, and everyone went back to their business. And a year or so later, Zelig is laying in bed, and he calls for the Cheva Kadisha, the burial society, to come. The message was that Zelig is dying, and he wants them to be present there just before he passes away. And so they came to this very small one-room house. They see Zelig laying on a pile of straw, old, very weak, almost lifeless, but his eyes were full of light. And the Cheva Kadisha stood around him, waiting for his last words, but they didn't come. And Zelig told them to bring some chairs and sit around. They shouldn't just stand there. And feel free to make themselves some tea and eat some cookies that were left over. And after a few hours of silence, Zelig told them they could go and come back tomorrow. But the next day, the same thing happened. And on the third day, they were a little impatient, wondering, maybe this old guy just needs attention. But then he cleared his throat. <coughs> he sat up from his bed. <coughs> And it was as if he had a new source of strength. The life came back into his face and his body. And he said to the Heva Kadisha, You probably all heard my story. I went to the Holy Land and I came back. And you're probably wondering, why did I come back? Well, now I can tell you my story. Until a few years ago, when I got too old to do it, I used to go every year to the great fair in the city of Berdichev. And I would buy merchandise and bring it back and resell it over the year. And every year when I would go, I would make sure to daven in the shul of the great tzaddik, Reblevi Yitzchak of Berdichev. Ay, what a tzaddik. In my life, I never met anyone like him. I would simply be in his presence, and it would keep me going the entire year. And one year, I came to the shul, and I was there a little early. And Reblevi Yitzchak, maybe he didn't notice that I walked into the shul. He was saying, Bekot HaShachar, the morning blessings. And let me tell you, my sweetest friends, I never heard a prayer said like that in my whole life. Never before and never after. It was Mamasha Gewalt. Blew my mind. But then suddenly the door of the shul bursts open. And a Jew comes running in. And I recognized him. He was one of the businessmen that buys at the fair. And he was crying. And he was going out of his mind. Throwing his arms in the air and screaming. They wiped me out. They stole all my money. Everything. They stole it all. And Reb Levi Yitzchak, he calmed him down. He said, sit down, calm down. We'll figure out what happened. The businessman was so emotional he could barely think or talk. And Reb Levi Yitzchak said, no, give me the background. What happened? The businessman said the night before, he was in the local inn. And he heard somebody in his room. And he was sleeping with all of his money in order to purchase from the fair the next day. And he wakes up and he goes to check to see if the money is there. And he discovered that someone had stole all of his money. He ran out of the room and he said, where's my money? And he saw the cleaning lady. And when she saw him, she ran away. He said, I'm convinced that she stole the money. And it's not even all mine. I borrowed a lot of the money in order to buy merchandise here at the fair. I'll be ruined. I'll be bankrupt. 
I don't know what to do. In the meantime, people started coming to shul in order to daven, and other people came in to hear what all the noise was about. And it didn't take long before the police showed up and started asking questions. And the businessman said that he suspected the cleaning woman in the inn. And a few minutes later, the police dragged her into the shul. She was crying and protesting her innocence. She said, I'd never stole any money in my whole life. But the police were cursing her, and people were telling her that she stole the money, and it looked like she was going to be accused of the crime. But then, the great Rebbe, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak Berdichev, he held up his holy hand, and he said, Shah, quiet everyone, quiet down. I understand that the money has been stolen, but I can tell you, this woman did not steal the money. And the police knew Rebbe Levi Yitzchak. For them, it was enough that the great holy man said that this woman was innocent. And the businessman is looking at Rebbe Levi Yitzchak and he's about to jump on him. He says, Rebbe, but this woman stole my money and you just let her go. And Rebbe Levi Yitzchak turns to the crowd and he says, my sweetest friends, whoever reimburses the businessman for the amount of money that was stolen from him, I guarantee them a place in the world to come. Zelig said, the moment that he heard this, he felt his heart jump. He didn't have so much money, but he had enough to pay back what the businessman lost. It meant that he would never be able to do business again. He would never have enough money to sell and buy anymore. But to get a promise from a tzaddik like Reb Levi Yitzchak, that he's guaranteed a place in the world to come, Zelig took the money and immediately gave it to Reb Levi Yitzchak. Reb Levi Yitzchak gave it to the businessman. The businessman kissed me, and he kissed Reb Levi Yitzchak, and blessed us a million times, and then went on his way. And then Reb Levi Yitzchak turns to the maid, who was still standing there, and he promised her that she would be compensated for her suffering. And then he turns to me, turns to Zelig, and he asks for a piece of paper. And one of his chassidim brings him the paper, and he writes on the paper, Please open the gates of heaven for this man. And then he signs his name. And the Rebbe instructed me that before I die, I should ask the Hever Kadisha to bury me with this note in my hand. But he warned me not to tell anyone about this note except to the Hever Kadisha on my last day on this earth. But that's not all. The next day, I came to shul, and Rebbe Levi Yitzchak asked me to come into his room. And when we were alone, he took out a bundle of money. It was a huge amount of money. And he said that the thief had heard what happened and decided to give the money back. When he heard that Zelig had given his own money, the thief felt so guilty, he decided to return it to Reb Levi Yitzchak Berdichev. And Reb Levi Yitzchak looks at me and he pushes the money towards me. And he says, it's yours, my friend. You can have all of your money back. And I was about to take it. But then he put his hand on my hand. And he said, not so fast. You can have the money, but you have to give me back my letter. And I said, Rebbe, that's not fair. And the Rebbe said, that's the deal. The money or the letter. And it's true, without the money, I would be close to poverty. But I didn't take it. I told the Rebbe to give the money to the maid. She had suffered, and he promised her that she would be compensated. And so the Rebbe did, and I kept the note. The Hever Kadisha was sitting there, amazed by the story that they were hearing. They had buried a lot of people. But they never heard a story like this before. And then Zelig said, Now you probably want to know why I came back from Israel, don't you? And they all shook their heads and said, Yes, please. And Zelig continued and he said, Well, when I came back from Berdichev, I took the letter and sewed it into the binding of my sitter, the sitter that I used every day, so that I would never forget it or lose it. And when I moved to Eretz Yisrael, I made sure to take it with me. But when I arrived and unpacked my bags, 
To my shock and surprise, I could not find the sitter. I realized that by mistake, I must have donated to the shul with all of my other books. And I sat there in Jerusalem trying to figure out what to do. I had given my life savings for a note in order to be buried with it. And I left it back here. I didn't have the money to pay for the trip back. And it took me an entire year to save up the money. And when I got back, one of the first things I did was look for my sitter. And sure enough, I found it sitting on the shelf in the shul here in our town. And I opened up the binding, and there was the letter from the holy hand of the great Rebbe, Rebbe Yitzchak Eberdichev. And I've held on to that letter ever since. And then he took it out, and he showed it to the Hever Kedisha. And he said, here it is. And as they're looking at the letter, Zelig takes one deep breath, closed his eyes, and with a big smile on his face, says, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Mechad. And with that, it was his final breath, and he left this world. And the Hever Kedisha buried him with the note, just as he had asked. And at the funeral, the whole community came, because everyone loved Zelig so much. And it was then, right there, at the grave of Reb Zelig, that the head of the Hever Kedisha told the story that you just heard. I have one more short story for you, my sweetest friends. Rabbi Yitzchak of Vorki, the Vorki Rebbe, had a friend who was a well-known rabbi and a great Torah scholar. But this friend could not stand the Rebbe of Rabbi Yitzchak of Vorki, who was the great Rebbe, Rabbi Simcha Punim, Abshischa. Every time this friend would come, even though he was a great scholar, he would put down Rabbi Simcha Punim. He always had really unkind words to say about him. But even in the presence of this friend, the Vorka Rebbe, the Chassid of Reb Simcha Bunim, never said a word. But when the rabbi would leave, the Chassidim of the Vorka Rebbe would say to the Rebbe, How is it possible for you to hear such harsh language about your own Rebbe and not answer him and not say a word? The Vorka Rebbe said, I'll tell you how. Once many years ago, I was traveling and I was in a certain town that I'd never been to before. And there was a stranger who came over to me. And he looks at me, up and down. He's studying my face very closely. And then his face turns sour. And he shouts, That's him! He's pointing at me. And he's shouting, That's him! Suddenly there's another man nearby. He comes over. He also looks me up and down. And he said, My God, that is him! And then a third one comes. And he said, Wow! That's him! Now the Vorkarebi said, I had no idea what they were talking about. And as I'm standing there trying to figure out what's going on, a woman comes over and she looks at me. And the three men that had been shouting at me, that's him, turn to her and they say, No. And she says, Yeah, that's him. And I'm asking the group what's going on. And the woman says to me, I want you to give me a divorce. I want to get. You left me in Aguna and I can't get married. If you don't give me a get, we're going to beat you up until you give it to me. And then the other men started shouting at the Vorkarebi, You left this poor woman for years. You abandoned her. How could you do such a thing? And the Vorkarebi says they were so convinced that they knew who I was, no matter how many ways I tried to explain it, I couldn't convince them that I wasn't this woman's husband who had abandoned her. So they said to me, You're coming to the Beit Din. 
and I happily went along with them to the local rabbinical court, and they accused me of being the woman's husband, and I explained to them that I'm not from here, and have never been here before, and the Beit Din accepted my evidence, and I was allowed to go. Now the Vorker Rebbe turns to his Hasidim and he says, Now while those people were busy abusing me and shouting and calling me names, I didn't get angry at them for one second because I knew it wasn't me that they were complaining about. They weren't cursing me. I was never married to this woman. I didn't have any right to give her a get. I didn't have anything to do with this whole situation. The fact that they thought that I was her husband and that they knew better than me and that they should abuse me for it. It wasn't me that they were talking about. They were talking about someone else. And so, my sweetest friends, the same thing with my friend, the rabbi. Whenever he comes here and he says such unkind things about my Rebbe, Rebsim Chabunim, I don't get excited because he only talks that way because he doesn't know my Rebbe. If he really knew who my Rebbe was, he wouldn't be saying those things. And so when he does, I don't know who he's thinking of. Probably somebody else, but he's not talking about my Rebbe. And so I have no reason to get upset. And so I don't know if it ever happened to any of you, my sweetest friends, but it certainly happened to me being a public figure, being the Shaliach Sibor, the person who leads the davening and the shul that I go to on Shabbos and Yom Tov, and actually all the shuls that I go to. I've had many people abuse me, call me names, call me all kinds of things, but I don't take it too seriously because they don't really know me. And if they did, they wouldn't be calling me those things. And so I hope for you, my sweetest friends, if that ever happens to you, you'll realize the same. And should you find yourself calling someone else a name, maybe before you continue, you should really get to know them. Thank you so much for listening. As always, my sweetest friends, it's a stressful time here in the Holy Land. Everyone is dealing with it in their own way. And I hope everyone is davening for us and doing all they can to help. And Bezat Hashem, we will see a victory in this war. We will defeat our enemies and we will be able to live in peace in our ancient homeland, the land of Israel. Amen. Amen, Amen brother. Bezrat Hashem.
Wow, that's him. Chaim.